This podcast is sponsored by the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. Stick around for more at the end of today's program. Welcome to Mortification of Spin, a casual conversation about things that count with Carl Truman and Todd Pruitt. Mortification of Spin is a weekly podcast from the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. Let's join this week's conversation. Welcome to Mortification of Spin. My name's Carl Truman. I teach at Grove City College in Western Pennsylvania, and I'm here with my usual co-host, the Reverend Todd Pruitt, who pastors a PCA church in Harrisonburg, Virginia, in what he describes as the beautiful Shenandoah Valley. Great to have you all with us today. We have two special guests uh, with us, uh, Brad Littlejohn and Colin Redimer who are on the program today to talk about the, the Davenant Institute, an educational institute which they uh, head up, and also to reflect upon the state of, of education in general and theological education in particular in the United States today. So, Brad, Colin, great to have you on the show. Great to be here. Good to be with you, Carl. Davenant Institute, Brad, uh, would you like to tell the listeners something about uh, the origins, the vision, what, what, what you hope the Institute will accomplish? Um, you and I have talked about it many times o- over the years, but I'm guessing that probably a, a chunk of our uh, listenership will probably not be familiar with your work. Yeah, sure. So, uh, Davenant, we chose the name Davenant to make uh, everybody angry. Um, so, Davenant was the <laughs> uh, Anglican bishop at the Synod of Dort, which most Anglicans today don't like him for that reason because they don't like the sin of Dort. And uh, most Reformed people don't like him because he was the one who was known for defending hypothetical universalism at the sin of Dort. So uh, we chose him as an ironic bridge-building figure, but that's a good way to make everybody angry. <laughs> uh, but as far as to, to, to Carl's question about uh, the, the origin story, I mean, in the simplest form, I would say what Davenant Institute was, was founded was uh, seven years ago, to resolve a supply-demand problem. So on the demand side, you have, um, I think, a growing, more urgent than ever need for, um, for theological education in the churches. And I would say, I mean, you know, we all see these Pew surveys about, uh, you know, how even you know, evangelical Christians don't, you know, how many people don't need to seem to know basic orthodoxy. And it's not necessarily... You know, probably if you did a survey in the year 1800, it might be just as depressing. But the difference today is that the ordinary, you know, the ordinary person in the pew um, is exposed to uh, so much more of uh, challenges from from the world. I mean, I remember back, you know, when the the Da Vinci Code thing came out and we had to have like 10 books published, you know, sort of convincing evangelicals that it was okay, they could still hold on to their faith because there was this Da Vinci Code thing, right? Uh, and so people are encountering much more challenges to their faith because of uh, mass media and social media in particular. And people are um, also in a position where everybody has a, a soapbox. And so if you have people with bad theology, uh, they're, they, they're in a good position. They can just start a blog and disseminate it. So 
we need good theology in the churches. We need more than just, uh, you know, seminaries can provide in terms of training pastors. Uh, and at the same time, uh, there's an, so there's, there's a lot of demand there that's not being met. There's an oversupply of, of PhDs in theology. You know, you go to ETS and you, you know, bump it, find gangs of 10 unemployed PhDs in theology kind of, you know, clustering around mm-hmm. nervously every, in, in every corner. And so we have, and in terms of the level of, um, I mean, there's fantastic advances in historical theology. We know so much more about the riches of our tradition than we used to. So how do we get those riches out there more broadly? And so Davenant is, is trying to imagine new contexts, new fora for bringing together scholars, pastors, and theologically interested lay people in order to disseminate the riches of the past. And, you know, it's interesting because the, the founders of, the tradition that I belong to, Presbyterianism, and, uh, you know, you mentioned uh, Dort, and I would go to, you know, Westminster as well. You know, just a simple reading through the Westminster Confession of Faith, for instance, shows that it's always been the expectation that the laity would understand, for instance, the doctrine of God. And if you just look at, you know, the section of, of the Westminster Confession or go to the larger catechism on the question of what is God, um, you, you see there that the divines that crafted that are, are drawing from the first several centuries of, of the church, obviously the scriptures as well, but what the church grappled through in its first four or five centuries to help uh, the church understand what is this godlike. And so it's always been uh, the expectation that from the time of our childhood, our children would be learning things like the doctrine of God's simplicity and his aseity and all of these things that are right there in our confession and in our catechisms. But I think too many of our pastors don't think are quote, you know, practical enough to teach their churches. And so they miss out on the treasure that people apparently far wiser than us believed that we actually ought to know. And, and so as I think about the work that you're doing, for instance, several of the books that have come out of Davenant deal specifically with doctrine of God, for instance, and, what would you say um, to the pastor who thinks that preaching and instruction about God's eternality, his simplicity, his immutability and impassibility, if he thinks, you know, those things are just too metaphysical, um, they're too far removed from the life of the laity, it, it's, it really doesn't make much sense to go into any kind of depth in instructing um, the, the, the flock of God in those matters. What would you say to that pastor who's, who's hesitant to, to see any practicality mm-hmm. to that whatsoever? Well, I mean, I'd say a couple of things. One is that the push now is everyone wants God to be relatable, wants God to be someone who you know, comfort you by your bedside uh, when, you're, when you're sick or struggling. Uh, and so the, a lot of the attack on the doctrine of impassibility comes from that standpoint. I think the best response to that is... Um, what you want when you're suffering, you, when you want your, when you're suffering is a God who is above suffering, a God who is a rock that you can, I mean, the psalmist is constantly appealing to God, you know, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. And we want to bring God down to our level and make him relatable. What that means is that he can't actually um, provide the, the you, we don't have the comfort of God's sovereignty anymore. And we don't have, and we lose mm-hmm. also, yeah. what's interesting is we lose the, the mystery of the incarnation. I mean, I think it's, if God is already basically like my bro anyway, then well, of course he became, he took on human flesh and, you know, and, and hung out, hung out with sinners. Right. But 
the gospel, so the gospel story is evacuated of all of its amazing shockingness uh, when you've already sort of dumbed yeah. God down. So, and what you also get there is antinomianism. I mean, people think, oh, God, you know, God is love, God is grace. And yes, God is love and God is grace. But what makes that so amazing is because God is still deeply offended by sin. And if, you've, if God's not even offended by sin to begin with, then his love and his grace aren't that, that interesting anymore. Yeah. I mean, the, the thing I would tack onto that is that, you know, the, what is the ultimate endpoint of thinking through God in terms of usefulness? Mm. It's, it's ultimately to turn God into a tool. Right. And, you know, God's not our tool. Um, God is more than that. So even if we go back, I mean, you're, you're talking about all the things you were expected to know um, in, in the Presbyterian tradition. And you can see this in the ordination requirements, the very first ordination requirements in early Presbyterianism. There was implied understandings that uh, even even they would actually ordain people who didn't know Greek, didn't know Mm -hmm. Hebrew, uh, weren't experts on church history, provided that they could come with a whole background of other knowledge, which which had informed their faith and given them the capacity to be a a genuine leader, you know, in the community that they're that they're in, in terms of philosophy, history, other aspects uh, as well, as long as they're confessing Orthodox Christian. Um, and those people would have known, as Aristotle teaches very clearly, that usefulness in the life of a human is always placed beneath the life of pleasure. <clears throat> and so, you know, one of the, the excellent and beautiful things that we can say about God is that, you know, hey, man, even when he's not useful, he's pleasant. Um, you know, it, there's, it's, just, it's just joyful to think of him and to know that he exists. Yeah. Uh, and the point of our lives is not to be useful either. Uh, we're made in his image, right? The point of our lives is to have joy. Um, and we have to therefore be able to articulate a God who's worth our time to think about uh, and talk about and enjoy. I was just going to say one of the ways I've tried to communicate it as a pastor who preaches and then teaches Sunday school classes on the doctrine of God is that when we meditate upon things like uh, his triune nature or his eternality and those kinds of things, that helps deliver us from, you know, Brad, you mentioned earlier, you know, God as a tool, you know, this utilitarian thinking about God and actually uh, helps us to see that, you no know, God's worth is found in his being and, and simply meditating on him and, and his perfections. Well, that, that turns into worship and therefore it is salutary for us to think on these things as we're guided by scripture, that, that, that if you want to talk about what's practical, Let's talk about a Christian worshiping God, enjoying him, um, uh, being comforted by the fact that his simplicity means he's always good and he can never not be good. He's always holy and he's always just and never cannot be. Well, when we start thinking about that, we're talking about the doctrine of God's simplicity. Isn't that great news? And I've been amazed at how lay people so quickly get that and are able to to understand that and incorporate that into, into their praise. And it's been wonderful to watch. Carl, what were you going to? Yeah, I was going to ask Colin, uh, the way that you were talking there, it's very clear that we're we're seeing the the impact of a dominant notion of instrumental reason or pragmatism affecting our theological education. But I'm, you know, I'm guessing that you, you probably don't see this simply as a problem of theological education. You see this as something that 
that permeate education in general. So many of the debates about education on, on the TV these days are about political things, you know, what, what racial theory should be taught, what, how, where does LGBTQ stuff fit in. But you're pointing, I think, to a much deeper problem in education that perhaps we're, we're not as aware of. I wonder if you could unpack that a little bit for us. Absolutely. You know, if, if one of the problems in pastors' lives is that there's a, a pressure to put, make God useful, right? The, the pressure in contemporary American higher education uh, is that the education itself has to become useful, right? It's constantly sold to students in terms of what is the return on investment, right? You give us your however much money and we're going to promise that you're going to get wages that are uh, so much higher. Um, one of the things that I've said in other spaces is, you know, we're, we're living through a period where just about 100% of all colleges are telling students, um, you come here, get your degree, and you will get, get a better job on the other side of this. You know, you will get a job. So the education is purely useful. Um, we're going to turn you into a world changer. And so you are going to, you know, turn yourself into a tool which goes out there and accomplishes some task. Um, and so, you know, if you come to the Davenant Institute, um, I'm not sure... Uh, if, if I'm supposed to say this, but you know, we are completely we are completely <laughs> useless. Um, you know, there's there is no use that we have intended for you in getting your degree uh, from from Davenant Hall, which is which is where we're teaching. Um, and we could, I mean, we could go more into this. You, you can look at the way tuition has increased by three thousand percent in the last fifty years. Um, you could talk about the you know, where is that money going? It turns out it's not going to the faculty, the library, or the laboratory. Okay, so you, you have to kind of ask, why is the tuition going up so much? Um, in 2005, just the last piece, to think of it in terms of usefulness, um, the student loans became undisclosable in bankruptcy for most students. Um, they can garnish your wages uh, from, you know, social security if you haven't paid off your student loans. Um, and, and so all of this is you realize people are actually being thought of in terms of their usefulness. And so there's this complex um, financial and legal mechanism, which is operating on a deficient understanding of what a human is, um, which is informing the entire educational process that these students are getting when they enter in, uh, even just for their bachelor's degree. You know, you have these 18 year olds making financial decisions, which, you know, I, from my perspective, they're simply not capable of, of being able to hold all of this history in their heads. Yeah. So, so what is it that Davenant is doing that, you know, in terms of, of what your mission is and what you're making available to people, um, you guys just kind of talk, talk our listeners through that just for, for a moment. Yeah, sure. So, I mean, the, the first piece is um, what we started with was our Convivia Irenica, and, and, and Carl's been a, a speaker at one of those. And, and the idea here is, is you know, it's, a, it's not just a normal conference. It's kind of a, a very intimate retreat. We keep it small where everyone can kind of get to know each other, hang out over, over beer and pipes. And, uh, and it's an opportunity for young, young evangelical scholars who really want to shape the church to come together with pastors and there to be a real exchange of, on the one hand, here are some resources from the church's past that can inform your ministry. On the other hand, from pastors, a kind of, here's what the church needs right now. Here's what your research priority should be. So from that kind of sprung up a kind of friendship network that we, that we created. And through that started creating more educational materials, started pub, uh, publishing. And now we're getting into the world of theological education through our Davenant. We had first done a series of um, 
uh, we did a Latin program to, teaching theological Latin, which was we had a lot of pastors and seminarians interested in that because it's not taught in most seminaries. And now we have a broader Davenant Hall program, um, which is kind of trying to meet that supply and demand issue. And a, a big audience for that is, is pastors looking for continuing education. I mean, pastors need continuing education. Seminaries are not particularly well set up for that. And, um, you know, there's, there's drawbacks to online education, but there are a lot of things that it's, it's quite good for in terms of when you have a, a broad geographically dispersed audience that it doesn't make sense for them. You know, it, it doesn't make sense for them all to uproot and be in one place. Uh, and we tie in those online courses with um, intensive residential courses at our Davenant House property to kind of have that community formation aspect, which is really crucial to education. But realistically, when people talk about the benefits of in-person education, I mean, the most important benefit of in-person education is not the sitting in the classroom. I mean, the Zoom classroom can actually simulate that reasonably well. It's the living life together um, and being, being mentored in an ongoing way. And that doesn't really happen, I don't think, that much at most seminaries. I mean, people have families, they live 30 minutes away from campus. Um, so if we can provide really quality online instruction combined with really meaningful, uh, intensive residential um, seminars, uh, we think that, and that, you know, we're, we're, we're charging $350 a course, um, we think we're able to meet a really important need out there. Colin, do you want to add anything to that? Yeah, I mean, I would just say we launched Davenant Hall a year ago. Uh, Davenant Hall is our, our online university or proto-university. Uh, at the time when we launched it, we were thinking we'll just offer courses. We'll see if there's interest. Maybe we'll have 30 students by the end of the year. Um, I think we, we had about five times as many as we hmm. expected by the end of the first year. Partially, of course, that's the result of coronavirus because, you know, when everybody else is also teaching online, yeah. uh, your online, you know, education looks more promising. Mm -hmm. So then we decided we were going to offer an actual degree. So the, the, here's the selling point for any listener who's considering going and getting some graduate theological education. You can get your master's degree from Davenant Hall. It'll cost you about $8,000. It'll take you two years. There will be an in-person portion where you're, you're being formed at the Davenant House. It's a beautiful house on a lake in South Carolina that we own. Um, but if you finish your degree with us and you go on to finish your PhD in theology uh, or related subject matter, we were going to give you 100% of your tuition back. Wow. So we keep, we keep your tuition in escrow as a promissory note. Um, and our goal, right, if, if all these other colleges are promising that you're going to get a better job, and then, you know, they're saying, give us all of your money and go deeply into debt. Uh, we want to say our education for you is completely useless, but it's beautiful and it's pleasant. <laughs> and we would like to go into debt to you yeah. to be able to transfer the wisdom of the history of the Christian tradition on to the next generation. Yeah, that's that's, that's amazing. Um, and and it, it actually reminds me of one of the things that, that I've really come to enjoy from Davenant over the last year. It's, it's the Ad Fontes. Mm. Uh, it's, like a, it's, it's not quite a magazine, but it's more than a bulletin. Right. Uh, it, and it and usually has one great article. And one of the things that's, that I think uh, a lot of Protestants struggle with at the moment is you know, when we're trying to address the big issues of, of the present day, uh, by and large, we're pretty dependent upon Roman Catholic sources. Mm -hmm. just to put it bluntly, because we don't have a, a great tradition of social teaching. First Things could only be a, really a Catholic-run magazine when it was founded. 
25, 30 years ago. Uh, I want to recommend to listeners, uh, go to the website, uh, the Davenant Institute website, and, and take a look at Adfonte. It's a really uh, superb publication where you will get serious articles on, on big issues of the day rooted in in the Christian tradition in general, but the, the Protestant tradition in particular. I wonder if either of you guys would just like to wax eloquent about uh, the, the, the origins of, of that. I think it's- Yeah, uh, well, you've got good timing, Carl, because we're actually uh, relaunching the magazine early next year <laughs> with a new, it's gonna have a dedicated website um, and it's gonna be much larger and have a SNAS new logo. And there's also gonna be a podcast that uh, our editor, Anzi, and Colin are going to host. So look out, guys. You're going to have competition. Uh, but, that's good. Uh, we started that. Uh, that was um, excellent. What four years ago now? And, and it was partly yeah. We um, we we had this you know great never guys coming together over the convivium, and uh, felt like had a lot of resources to offer or wisdom to offer the church. And so you know let's get these guys writing. So we just started initially in our this is our you know in our rashness, we started as a monthly publication. Uh, and my editor, I was running my editor ragged, uh, and, uh, we made it quarterly, but I think we're going to, I think the goal is to go to bi-monthly next year. So it'd be like, yeah. like a touchstone production kind of thing. And we really wanted that. I mean, it, it, what you said is exactly right. That the, um, intellectual Christianity and intellectual conservatism in the U S has become remarkably Catholic dominated. And, and I'll just kind of mm -hmm, right. give up and cash in our chips and say, I guess, I guess the Reformation lost. I guess all the smart people are Catholics. Uh, but we don't think we need to do that. We think that actually, if you look back, I mean, if you look around now, it looks like all the smart people are Catholics. You look at the 17th century, Protestants were just owning the intellectual scene in Europe. And for some reason, we've, they've done a better job of, I, I mean, I, I think pretty obvious reasons, you know, just sort of institutionally, but they, they've, they've transmitted that heritage in a way that we have not done, uh, but it's there for the taking. And uh, we really want to give Protestants the confidence to reassume intellectual leadership. You know, one of the, I really noticed this um, some years ago, not, I mean, five, six, seven years ago, when the debate on um, uh, homosexual marriage was, was really in high gear and, and then, and then when, when the PCA was hit with the revoice thing, in, in terms of trying to find really great social teaching, um, uh, biblical anthropology, you know, these kinds of things, I, I kept having to go to the Roman Catholics um, for so much of this. And, you know, fortunately, and just in the last couple of years, um, there's, there's, there is, I'm, I'm seeing glimmers of real hope that, that now Protestants are upping their game again on those issues, on social teaching, what, you know, things like, what does the body mean? Um, those kinds of questions that Catholics have been dealing with so well. And now finally Protestants are, are, are weighing into, in some cases, in a really substantive way. And that's been encouraging to see. And you all are, are, are right kind of in the middle of that, which has been really good. Have you had Alistair Roberts in this podcast before? We have not had him on. Okay. Yeah, you need to. Yeah. yeah. I mean, probably one of the best mm -hmm. in this area. Mm -hmm. When it, it's, it's too soon, certainly, to plug it, but uh, one of the things we've been talking about is getting a group of our uh, you know, Protestant scholars who are connected with the Davenant Institute to put together a book of essays on Christian social teaching, right. you know, obviously from the Protestant yeah, perspective. Really Protestant social teaching, yeah. 
Yeah. But, but uh, in, in our, in our view, right. The, uh, the reformed have the, uh, the authentic claim to Catholicity. And so when we talk about, um, you know, when we talk about social teaching, for example, uh, we're not interested in like, what is the Protestant, you know, understanding of social teaching? We're, we're interested in what is, what is true, what is real. And so uh, if, if a Roman Catholic agrees with Absolutely. me, um, I'm happy to Absolutely. give that brother a big yeah. hug and bring him over. Um, and, and, and yet in, in the midst of saying that there are so many things, which I think we can say, and so many insights we can bring to bear uh, yeah. because of the perspective of the tradition that yeah. we, that we show up at the question with. It's funny, you know, Another thing we get criticism on both sides for is we've gotten the criticism, oh, you Davenant <laughs> people are way too Roman Catholic because we are, you know, we're talking about using Catholic categories to talk about the doctrine of God. We think to be Reformed, to be Protestant doesn't mean right. you have a distinctive Protestant doctrine of everything. There mm-hmm. are much of the best theology is Roman Catholic. But we also get this criticism, oh, you guys, <laughs> the guys who are really anti-Catholic and right are trying to, well, we're, we're trying to inoculate Protestants right. against converting to Catholicism. I mean, like, well, everyone's talking yeah. about vaccines now. It's like a, a vaccine, right? The, the best way to prevent someone from becoming Roman Catholic is inject them with a safe dose of Roman Catholicism <laughs> in the context of a properly reformed uh, theology. So, yeah. We're slammed for being misogynists and for being radical exactly. feminists. So, uh, you're, you're in, yeah, everybody has their, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which I tend to think means we're probably in, in the right That's place right. when you're getting slammed. Right. For folks. Um, well, where can, where can our listeners go online to, to, to get introduced to Davenant really well? Yeah, well, just uh, davenantinstitute.org. So that's D-A-V-E-N-A-N-T. Uh, and you have there um, a l- l- Davenant, you can slash Davenant Hall. I mean, you can find that easily. Um, Ad Fontes is there. It will have its own dedicated website soon. Also, um, you can get a link there to our separate Davenant House website, and you can learn about the – and we're really – the goal with Davenant House um, mm-hmm. is to kind of make that a kind of Labrie type study center, but also a place where we can host our, our residential courses. Labrie without the knickers. You would yes. That means okay. something different to our English <laughs> listeners, by the way, to us. <laughs> yeah. we, we may need to translate that. In terms of how to find us, you know, we opened with, uh, with reasons why it might be unfortunate to name yourselves Davenant. The best thing is that if you Google Davenant, uh, we pretty much own the space. So <laughs> I bet. Nice. Nice. That's good. Well, well our thanks guests, for the work you do. Yeah. Our guests have been Brad Littlejohn and Colin Redimer of the Davenant Institute, and they really are doing some excellent work. I've got, I I hop over to their website quite a bit. I have several of the books that have been coming out from from these guys that are excellent. Um, And uh, I I look forward to the work that they continue to do. If you're a pastor, please check them out. If you're a lay person and ready to kind of uh, jump in a bit deeper, uh, which I would encourage you to do, um, they're a great resource uh, for you. And if you'll go over to our website, mortificationofspin.org, you'll find a link uh, to a resource that we'll be giving away one of their books uh, entitled Without Excuse. Now, it's a book that deals with uh, apologetics and specifically uh, a critique of of presuppositional apologetics. And and some of our our listeners will know immediately what that means. Um, And uh, uh, we would encourage you to hop over to our website and enter to win a copy of that book without excuse. And while you're there, um, we are a listener-supported podcast, and you are welcome to make a donation to the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals so that they can continue 
uh, to provide good content for you. Uh, Brad and Colin, thanks so much for being with us. It's been a good conversation and one that actually could go on for, for quite a bit longer. So we may have to do a follow-up with you guys, but thank you so much for your time. Thanks so much, Todd. Thanks, Carl. It's been a pleasure. Thanks. Well, thanks to our listeners for joining us. We look forward to being with you next time on Mortification of Spin. Thanks for listening to Mortification of Spin, a podcast of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. For more on topics like this, visit mortificationofspin.org, where you can find other articles by Carl and Todd, browse the archive of past episodes, and make a donation. We'll talk to you next time on Mortification of Spin. Now for something completely different. We've all faced unprecedented challenges here of late, and the church has not been immune. Unable to gather, many have drifted away. Still others languish in churches that have forgotten the creeds and confessions that give clarity and focus to our faith. The Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals exists to proclaim biblical doctrine in order to foster a reformed awakening in today's church, and we need your help. To be salt and light in a dying world, we need a strong and committed church, equipped with the truth and ready to serve the gospel. Your prayers and financial gifts enable us to produce and deliver solid resources from trusted authors, teachers, and speakers in print, online, at our signature events, and on the air. You will make a difference for today and for eternity when you give online at alliancenet.org donate or call 1-800-488-1888.